Uh, Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Always a pleasure to be with you. Interesting times we are living in. As the Chinese curse goes, it's being overdone. Yeah, that's for sure. Way over the top. A little bit more boring. Way, way over the top. Um, And who thought that this issue would really come close to home for you and many in the the Jewish leadership world? Uh, Do you think the Zionist Organization of America will survive the calls for it to be ousted from the Conference of Presidents? Well, it's a decision that the organizations will make. I don't think anybody's moving to oust anybody at the time. There's uh, efforts by ZOA against some of the organiza- other organizations and other organizations back to them. I think everybody should be careful with what they say. I think it's a time when we need unity, when people should be coming together. And uh, that the wise people are careful with what they say publicly and privately. It's a very sensitive and, and tense time. And it's not a time when we can afford the luxury of divisiveness between Jews. We have to stand together. We have so many external challenges that the internal challenges are a luxury we can't afford. You know, it's interesting you say that about watching our words, because in all, in all seriousness, um, it, to many people, we were just discussing this in my house last night, to, to many people, the attitude is the best thing in this atmosphere when it's such a hotbed the atmosphere is to keep your mouth shut because there's really you know nothing productive to be said but then there are times especially when you're in leadership positions when people demand that you say something and it's a it's a conflict that's really hard to to come out of sometimes well sometimes it is a judgment call that's correct and you gotta you say hope not only what you that you say something but what you say and more importantly how you say it that you can say the same thing in two different ways one and and sometimes it's just uh, you know, a misunderstanding. It could be something that somebody says intending it to mean one thing, but interpreted in another way. You know, that some words can have dual meanings where people manipulate uh, what they want today to, to um, and, and you create all sorts of fictions. You know, this whole thing about starting to focus on that Israeli police have trained yeah. uh, Minneapolis police, which was not true. That was something. And, but that the National uh, law, Black Law Enforcement Enforcement Association came out and said, we support the training in Israel. It saved our lives. It gave us in its counterterrorism training. And uh, the, the, But the fact is that people can just make up something today, given the, the, especially the Internet, it spreads around the world instantly. It gets credibility instantly. You can't keep on top of it virtually because it's so, it's so hard to, to keep up. And when you can have, I saw at one, I think Facebook or somebody said they closed... 130,000 Chinese uh, spots, um, you know, uh, websites and uh, et cetera, where, where they were promoting issues from the elect, interfering in the election or to the COVID and other things. You know, we, we live in a different era and, and people don't understand when they're being manipulated or when information is valid or not. How many emails have you gotten or messages? That then you know within hours somebody has to revoke to try to revoke the message or mm-hmm. rescind it because it was not true though it was credible but not true. I hope the youth uh, in our community who are more used to this life where they know that if they post something or say something how viral it can go and how it could affect you forever. I hope everyone they and others are smart enough to to be careful with their words. And by the way, one other point, Malcolm, and 
you know, who, who knows modern Jewish history and who has lived it the way you have. Um, so I think it's so important that we mention this. Someone from Seattle, I heard, I heard a quote from someone in our community in Seattle basically saying, well, this whole thing that's going on uh, in downtown Seattle doesn't really affect us. It just affects the fact that I can't go shopping, you know, in a store I like to go to. And I said, what? You know, number one, they say that the 911 service is now three times, uh, it takes three times as long to get a fire truck or a police car to your home if there's an emergency because of what's going on in Seattle. That's number one. And number two, Malcolm, you're the first one to remind us that when they're looking for a scapegoat or they're looking to attack a suburb or a place uh, where they think there has been, you know, unfairness, the Jewish community is always a great scapegoat. So for anyone in our community anywhere going through all these situations and the violence, to think that we're unaffected, that is, uh, that, that's a foolish way of portraying it. I think that there are people, and as you know, on the show, I warned a month ago, more, six, six weeks ago, that this would occur, that there would be the social eruptions, that there was this dangerous cocktail with the uh, people being at home for uh, months, uh, cooped up, that the the um, unemployment, the threat that their jobs won't be there, the economic dis- and social dislocation would lead to an eruption. It was inevitable. It, all the conditions were there, and it just took some trigger to set it off. And if it wasn't in Minneapolis, it probably would have been someplace else. And it doesn't mean there aren't injustices, and it doesn't mean that there aren't things that should be addressed. But the amount of destruction, the the things that are going on around the country, uh, I know that the number of people applying or expressing interest in in buying property in Israel has soared, or and people contemplating Aliyah has increased greatly. Um, it's not the option, perhaps, for for many, and we have to think about what our elected officials say, who you vote for, that you vote that you make your voice heard, that if they're not allowing summer camps to open, you make your voice heard. The problem is that they don't hear from people. When you think about the needs of special education, people, kids uh, need special education and have been home now for three months, that what the, the, the toll it takes on the families and that they don't open up those institutions. It isn't just the things that we see on the surface. There are so many ramifications. Yeah. And the cost of covid has yet to be taken. We don't we, the trillions of dollars that have been spent. The uh, the resources. We don't know which organizations are going to emerge out of this. We don't know how many schools will not open, or schools will not open, or others. And the tolls that have to, that uh, will yet take. Uh, we don't know what the story will be. Rosh Hashanah. We don't know when schools will be able to open. There's so many factors. So number one, the first thing we need is achdut within our community. Number two, we need awareness and assertiveness on the part of our community to protect the needs and interests, both within our communities, but you can't live in isolation. So we have to see to it in general that the things aren't done that, that will cause us harm and, and damage and, and, and the, the society as a whole as well. People can't be indifferent to this and, and just, you know, they spend their days emailing, and I know nobody knows what day of the week it is, and I know people don't know what week of the month it is, but we can't, we cannot lose sight of where we are and what the immediate issues are. And we have a whole international agenda, Nahum, that people have not focused on. People are not reading papers or, or they listen, hopefully, to this. But if we look at what Iran has been doing, you know, that there's a... I can't breathe. Cartoon contest in Tehran now. Wow. That, that they have seventy-two entries from twenty-seven countries. It's being it's on display. It used to be 
against Israel. So they have that anyway. But this is now the second round, and it attacks, of course, the United States, but Israel uh, as well. We have to fight over maintaining the arms embargo against Iran and Russia this week coming out. How many people know that they're not allowing the U.S. and going to veto in the U.N. the renewal of sanctions along with China, and some of the Europeans don't want to go along with it, and and the fact that the... Um, uh, you know, that they put up again a smock U.S. aircraft carrier, which they're going to bomb with 16 fake planes on it, something they did, if you remember, we talked about years ago already. So we look at that. You look at the demonstrations in Syria. We see the arrests in Turkey and the unrest. You see what's happening in international criminal court against right. the United States. Okay, we got well, We're going to get though. I think we're going to get I mean, them. I'm just saying yeah, that I know. people, there, and that, and that's such why, an array, and this is just off the top of my head. That's why, that's why all these things are on my list. But I just want to, I got, I got to say one other thing, because I, I, I'm just, I've been dealing with the reaction to our discussion last week on this matter, and I just, we got to, I, I thought you handled it really well, whether it's your issue or not. I thought you hand as a Jewish leader. I thought you handled it really well. You said to us, if I'm paraphrasing properly, that that you know, obviously, Black Lives Matter is a a slogan that everybody agrees with. But at the, at the same time, there is an organization that utilizes that name. And I think what you told us was, and again, I'm trying to satisfy those who are in touch with us. I have messages that 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 uh, that claim this was unclear. I thought it was very clear. I think you told us. When before you take photos with and march with and stand with and make statements with people who are who are parts of different uh, protest groups, make sure you know their background. Make sure you know how they stand vis-a-vis the human rights of others, including Israelis, uh, on this globe. And 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 I think that you said that you know very well last week. I just need you to reiterate it because I, I it got a reaction where people seem unclear about it. I thought I was very clear. Yeah, about that's it. what I thought. And I still stand by that, that you don't make common cause with everybody, even if the cause is good. That means that you can still express yourself and and, and do it as vehemently and as strongly as you, as you feel you should. But you don't just make common cause and give legitimacy to people um, because of the uh, who, who then turn and use that position against us. Why did Assad fire the prime minister of Syria? Because the internal situation is collapsing, the the um, there are demonstrations going on in various uh, cities in uh, Sweda. It's now spread to Dara and to Idlib, and uh, Sweda, which is largely a uh, Kurdish area, uh, they actually called for Assad's removal. Ooh. On record, dancing in the streets, you know, making videos about uh, calling for Assad's removal. He's also in a vicious fight with his cousin, Mahouf, who controls most of the economy. And um, and so the internal situation has deteriorated, and he uh, and these demonstrations are, are, are really about the economic conditions, because in Syria itself, the when the fighting started, it was 47 pounds to the dollar. At the beginning of this year, it was 1,000 pounds to the dollar. Now it's 3,000 Syrian pounds to the dollar. And the the unemployment is probably 80%. The, the unrest and the people are hungry. People are, are in terrible conditions there. So... Um, so there, there's uh, uprisings and demonstrations, and there's there's no real effort to rein in and, and try to improve the economy. We don't see any steps being taken, uh, and therefore he 
the easiest thing you do is you fire the prime minister and blame him. This is the first time when we see actual manifestations naming Assad and calling for his removal. Wow. Uh, the economic collapse of Lebanon and Syria are related and linked, or basically everybody in the area is suffering? Both. They are linked, you're right, and because the Lebanon was the bank for Syria, mm. and it was linked, and now the Lebanese economy has totally collapsed as well, and there's a lot of anger at Hezbollah, and they think that Hezbollah is causing a lot of the damage uh, to them. Hezbollah has retrenched some of its activities in Lebanon because of financial strains, but they're still operative, and Iran still pours money, which is why the arms embargo in Iran is so important, so they not resupply uh, as easily as they have in the past. Um, but the yes, the Lebanon it's it's related in the sense that the you know the dollars used to come from Lebanon to Syria now there's no dollars to be gotten. And those protests in the street are also to remove the leadership of Lebanon, or for a different reason? Oh no, they are. And you see the split between Aoun, former Christian militia leader, very pro-Israel, turned anti-Israel because he lined up with Hezbollah, who made sure he got elected president. Now he has broken with them. And uh, the internal splits are, are great, both within Hezbollah there are some challenges, but more the people of Lebanon, the, Sh- the Sunni population, and there have been demonstrations where they march in the street and yell Shia, 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 meaning Shiite. Right. And um, uh, yeah, so it's it's very complex situation in Lebanon all the time, but now it's... it's um, it's it's really collapsing. Even with the uh, the arrest and uh, sentencing that you alluded to of the U.S. consulate employee, um, uh, the New York Times at least says that the relationship between Donald Trump and Erdogan has never been better. Is that how you would classify it? It's hard to tell. As you know, I, I know Erdogan, and I follow this. Uh, Turkey is a very serious matter for us. You know, they're expanding their their footprint in Jerusalem all the time. He is pouring money in. He set up a new Muslim Brotherhood Center near the Kotel. He has his own internal problems. He just arrested this past week about 275 people, military uh, leaders, Air Force officials, and others, still claiming that it's related to the to the coup when he he arrested uh, I don't know four five hundred of the uh, of the pilots and and about a thousand people there uh, from the military and eighty thousand people are still awaiting trial in in uh, Turkey from the charges that were. Uh, brought to bear because of uh, of that, and about 150,000 military civil servants and others were fired or or suspended uh, at the time, and still uh, as well. So uh, Turkey has its own internal problems, its economic the strains on its economy, but that doesn't restrain him from his ongoing foreign adventures. He's very active in Libya, where he's contesting with Russia. They're backing opposite sides, and right now the Turkish side is, is gaining ascendancy, and they drove Haftar out of Tripoli. That's the um, opposition forces, and Turkey backs the government-backed forces. Uh, but it's, it's still a civil war going on, and it's still a very uh, complex situation. But Turkey, uh, Turkey's adventurism in Syria, in, uh, in Libya, and other places is is increasing despite the economic conditions that they face. So is it that when uh, leaders around the world get more out of control, that's when the President of the United States establishes a better relationship with them? <laughs> well, sometimes it's a better relationship can be because they have a common enemy, you know, the enemy of my enemy, right. or because he sees opportunities um, 
that might be. But this is a, a, such a repressive regime at home, and it is an increasingly Islamist, uh, aggressive Islamist uh, advocate and, and building 17,000 mosques around the world, spreading the Muslim Brotherhood message. He has become more and more extreme himself. And, um, you know, the president, I think, should be careful, and I'm sure many of his advisors are warning him, because other presidents fell into the trap. Erdogan can be very enticing and, and charming when he wants, and um, and it's too easy to fall fall into that trap. Uh, president Obama used to spoke to him more than any other foreign leader in the right. first year or two of his presidency. Uh, there are common interests. Turkey, you know, is an important country, a member of NATO, a huge uh, country. Um, maybe they, he sees him as an ally in Syria against the Russians or the Iranian uh, dominance. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Support us, everybody. I'm saying it as clearly as I can during these times. Uh, we need your support now more than ever, just like you need this show now more than ever, as we've been discussing uh, since the start of COVID. Uh, and 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 just looking at the uh, and looking at the number of uh, people, the thousands who are logged into this conversation, I could tell you that it's obvious that you feel that way that you need this program. So I'm begging you, and I don't use that term lightly or or every or very often. Uh, support us at fjbunity.org at fjbunity. Dot org. Uh, well, the uh, annexation issue, I know we get closer to July 1st. I know that the Israeli court has, um, uh, has the Supreme Court overwhelmingly rejected a 2017 law that would have allowed for the retroactive legalization of thousands of Jewish homes built on occupied West Bank land um, privately owned by Palestinians, a law so provocative that few believed when it was passed that it would survive judicial review. I don't know what that, if, if that in fact has an effect on this annexation possibility. I think what's most frustrating, Malcolm, as an observer of the news, is that Israel has gone through, um, you know, the Golan Heights uh, situation, the Jerusalem embassy move, etc. A lot of things guided by the U.S. administration, obviously. And it seemed, certainly in hindsight, but even going into it, it seemed it was no big deal to, to, to observers around the world. Now we see the reaction of Germany this week, the PA's reaction this week. Uh, it, it, we know the, the dissension among Israelis, many of them not, including some right-wingers, not wanting this annexation the way it's being proposed right now to go through. So what can you tell us in terms of an update on that? So they haven't even finished the mapping process, so a lot of this is speculation on part of people about what it will actually mean. It could be a phased-in process, meaning it doesn't have to be all at once. There are various elements. You have the uh, Maladumim and uh, the Gush. You have the, the Jordan Valley. Um, you have the settlement blocks. It's not clear to me, and, 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 and I've talked to the people who are on all sides of this issue, and as you said, there are various views. There are people who are critical because it gives too much. There are people right. who believe that it's, um, it, it gives too little. There, there is um, there's a whole range of view. Right now, I think the critical factor here is what General Gans says. I know I, my sense is the administration wants him on board for this, and uh, he has yet to come out with a final position of support or not. But generally, he and the Foreign Minister Ashkenazi, General Ashkenazi, are have indicated uh, support. There were preliminary discussions, certainly, when they had the negotiations as they formed the coalition. Uh, July 1st, the Prime Minister keeps saying will be a, a deadline for doing whatever it is that they're going to do. 
but they can't dismiss uh, totally what their world reaction. They can't let others dictate what you're going to do, but you can't be uh, uh, blind to it because there could be a lot of implications, uh, you know, things that people generally don't think about. And, it, again, it's not what should determine people. Countries have to determine based on their long-term interests, but they also have to think about the short-term impact so, for instance, Horizon 2020, which is this huge billion-dollar deal for Israel for research and development and supporting a lot of the scientific things and high-tech development, high-tech developments that are going on in Israel, which comes from the European Union and could well be suspended. I don't think countries are going to break diplomatic relations as they threaten. I don't think it's the PA's reaction. They should be held to account for the fact that they won't negotiate and that they are uh, the reason why all of these things have to be taken, because they won't do what they have to, to do. But I, I see now the emergence of ideas of a partial annexation of, uh, um, you know, spreading out over time, of, of taking, um, you know, annexing justice settlements. Uh, and, of course, all of this has to be done in concert uh, with the United States. So the there are, um, this is, it, obviously, the peace plan is the most, maximal plan right. that was ever offered to Israel and allows annexation of 30% of West Bank, but they don't say that it doubles the area that the PA has, and they could start with some of the blocks. So I'm saying there are a lot of options that are available. People shouldn't jump to conclusions. I think debate is healthy. People can you know, understand what are the concerns, how this plays out diplomatically and physically for people uh, on the ground and uh, in the long run. When, uh, so we're at an early stage. When people so, are demanding that Gantz save Bibi, uh, do they mean he should save him by coming out against the plan or should save him by coming out for the plan? Yeah, that's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought of that one, but yeah, it's, it's a good one. Uh, also, uh, the, the PA says it will cut the salaries of tens of thousands of his own clerks and police officers, will slash vital funding to the impoverished Gaza Strip, and a few other things. What you're pointing out regarding that move is that they this is a perfect opportunity for them to not take responsibility that they're really responsible for. Absolutely, and they try to shift the onus and uh, threatening. You know, they've already they did sever a lot of the cooperation, and that means also that they're denying their people the the health. You know, I think two two thousand or two thousand five hundred people go from Gaza every month to Israeli and West Bank hospitals. They they refuse the UAE uh, shipment of uh, goods and and medical supplies and other things that were flown from Abu Dhabi to to Israel. This time with Etihad, the airline's name on it, not painted over, not whited out, with the flag of of the UAE on it. Um, that the uh, I mean, and the PA is engaged in in so many things, you know, including by the way, and we should not miss this this week. There was a very important press conference by. Secretary Esper, the Secretary of Defense, uh, Pompeo, Secretary of State, and uh, Barr, the Attorney General, about the IPC and its implications, which was about the United States and Israel. But the PA is still doing its mischief behind uh, the scenes on that. And the, um, you know, the rejectionist front, and Israel now is going to withhold tax money um, from what it collects to pay for Palestinians who were subjected to torture because they were accused of working with Israel things that people don't see day-to-day, all the different things that, that um, are involved in the intricacy of the relationship. Wow. Did you see Israel's uh, shipping wheelchairs to Ecuador? Yes, I did know that they are shipping uh, wheelchairs to Ecuador, and Israel does a lot of things I know, for a lot of people. I, mean, I say it like that only because, you know, uh, to take any obscure country, 
Not that the Ecuadorians are going to be happy with now that I called their country obscure. Uh, but Israel's on the forefront of helping them out. They need wheelchairs because of COVID-19 patients who are in the midst of recovery. Right. And then they and Israel makes sure to ship them over there, a story you're not going to find anywhere else. That I can guarantee you. Um, By all- the way, you know what? The, all the stuff we're reading about from the International Atomic Energy Agency, you know where the, what that information is still? It's still from what Israel took from the archives in Iran. Yeah. And, that they, and that's what's guiding the new charges against Iran, which is blocking access to these sites and is enriching and violating every part of the JCPOA. And where are the Russians? Where are all these countries lining up against, on the side of Iran, against sanctions against the United States, which is taking the lead on this? And, of course, Israel supporting them on it. Not surprising. President of the United Nations General Assembly said world leaders will not be visiting New York for the annual gathering in late September. I don't know. I think that's sort of a good thing. What do you Yay. think about <laughs> yeah, he's right. Uh, because, first of all, we're not going to lose a week of our lives and not being able to get in, and my office is near there, so it's hard. It is regrettable in the sense that that's an opportunity for us. Usually we meet 30, sometimes even more, foreign minister, heads of state, prime ministers who come, and they uh, meet with you know delegations or individuals in the Jewish community, and we have a chance to put forward our issues. And in that sense, it's it's you know it's very efficient because we don't have to travel except down walk down the block to be able to meet with them while they're here, and um, this uh, won't that won't happen this year. Um, uh, the ISIS attacks that have surged in Iraq uh, is that going to is that news going to play a role in terms of how many U.S. troops the United States uh, uh, will decide to keep there? Well, it, it works against keeping U.S. troops there because they have targeted U.S. bases, and there have been about 30 attacks against uh, U.S. troops. Uh, you know, Iran is is um, playing a very critical role there in this and encouraging some of the violence against uh, the presence of the U.S. troops. They want them out. Um, the presence there is important. You know, members of Congress now are, are looking at this and um, looking at withdrawal of of uh, U.S. troops. There's a very comprehensive Republican study group program coming up about sanctions uh, dealing with Iran, and that includes the situation in Iraq, certainly, and in Syria. We know that in Syria they are expanding, Iran is expanding its its footprint, uh, working with the militias, working with the, in Darin, or near the Golan Heights, uh, elsewhere. Um, but Iraq is a critical part, and if the if the United States pulls out, severs all the ties, it, it will, I think, diminish our, our ability. But at the same time, we don't want troops to be sitting ducks. We want the Iraqis to take control uh, of their lives and of the security situation. No question about that. Uh, coronavirus update in Israel. It was, a, it was a difficult week, right? Numbers are going up. Going up. Um, more cases in the last uh, 72 hours than I think they had in since this uh, crisis broke out. Malcolm, I'm going to ask you a question, and I think everybody in this audience wants to ask you a variation of the same question. Uh, knowing that the Jacob family, who are the, uh, uh, the, the chair people of the Jewish Unity Initiative, are making a wedding in Jerusalem on the 4th of August, and knowing that the Siegel family is making a wedding in Jerusalem on the 10th of August, should I prepare myself that I likely will not be able to be at these events? Uh, I, I don't like to make predictions. I'm, I'm still hopeful that I will be able to make some of those events. But the, um, the, 
the situation is very fluid. Nobody knows. You see, El Al has postponed and postponed when they could open flights, right. when restrictions will be. If this upsurge continues, it will it will limit foreigners coming. As you know, that seventy percent of the cases in Israel, they say, were traced to Americans, American sources. Um, I think that the you know we don't know when the offices will really open. I think. Most places are not counting on it before Labor Day. And I know of events that have been canceled now going into next February and March, including the APAC annual gathering when 18,000 people come. So being able to plan ahead, and I've gotten many calls about this. um, Has the Conference of Presidents made a decision yet about February 2021? That's exactly one of the subjects that we are we are looking at about whether it'll be feasible or how we have a little bit more leeway because it's a much smaller group than the right. and what APAC faces and people are looking for all sorts of excuses. It was just a practical decision because you have to go to the convention center, you have to invest millions of dollars. You couldn't do that, and the and the hotels can't give assurances. Right. Just to make it clear, I mean the conference is an Israel issue because of the travel there. APAC's an American issue because it's usually in Washington. Just to yeah, but people have to travel here, right? And, from Israel, and, good point. And people come from Israel, mm-hmm. and whether people will come to a you know an enclosed environment like this, and and I'm just saying it's one of many right. that I know that through already twenty the beginning of 2021 are being canceled because people just don't know when all of these restrictions will be lifted. Wow, unbelievable to think that it can go that far. And think and of the economic it, impact. Think of all yeah. the other. And people should remember, and I do this every week, you got to keep wearing the mask. We see that it's a protection. We see when there are social gatherings, and we have Mignonim now, thank God, and we have conditions. People should not be lax about it. Well, now you see the upsurge. I was in your neighborhood this week for about five minutes. And immediately, immediately, they got into a fight with a resident who was not wearing a mask. And it's like, I mean, the area you're living in, I want to tell you, just from casual observation, the night I was there for, you know, for an hour driving around, uh, a lot of people are not taking the mask thing seriously at all. Well, well, I do. I see the people walking. It's very mixed. Young people think that they're immune. And and then people, when I raise it with them, they say, no, I have antibodies. I said, yes, but I don't. And the point of wearing a mask is not to protect you. It's to protect everybody else from you. And even if you've had it, it doesn't mean you can't spread it. And I think that the the selfishness and the, you know, inconsideration of people who who boldly walk, you know, prance around because they said, no, I have high antibodies. Well, very nice. Donate them. We should use them for to cure other people, but consider other people's uh, health as well. Mm-hmm. This is, and you know, and we we still the, the toll is so great, and and people still falling ill to it. I mean, it's not hasn't ended. Thank God, it's greatly diminished, and we want it to stay that way. Yeah, our neighborhood was uh, terribly affected by a tragedy this week of um, one of the mothers, grandmothers in our community who passed away. And uh, people are still, obviously, still reeling from it. People who think this thing is over, you are fooling yourselves. Is the international war on terror over? Because I was reading that because there's this impression that it is, it will make uh, it more difficult for Israel to keep an iron fist on terrorist groups. The war on terror is certainly not over. I mean, we see it around the world, and we don't even have time anymore to be able to review all the places where... Where terrorism and and um, um, the the violence is continuing, Iran's activities around the world, China, others are are engaged in subversive activities. Uh, will it make it harder for Israel? It's harder for Israel to get the attention and to get 
to, to be seen because it's, the threat isn't immediate, that they have done a great job controlling uh, the terrorism. Uh, that's one of the concerns about uh, if Israel moves ahead on ex- on extending sovereignty or whatever, that you, you could face, again, an uprising, and the, the fact that the coordination with the PA is diminished, uh, even if it's not disappeared altogether, but it's certainly diminished, in, in even including in the security areas. Uh, these things, you know, and people who will exploit it to increase terrorism and who've wanted all along to do it, but that Israel and its cooperation with PA security forces, because it served the PA's purposes, were able to, to dampen it down, and God willing, that will continue. But terrorism around the world is continuing, and they're taking advantage of the attention on COVID, and now, of course, on Black Lives Matter, and other eruptions, you know, they to beat up the U.S., to attack, to focus. But we have these demonstrations and violence all over the world. Yeah, no question about it. Tell me about the uh, uh, the balloon units that have been making threats to communities that live near the Gaza Strip. Well, that's been ongoing for for a while, and the you know they have drones, they have others, but now the balloons are particularly uh, um, dangerous because they land in kindergartens and houses. Kids go over, they look at them, you know, they they. Um, and they explode. They have explosive devices. This has been going on for, for a long time. And, uh, you know, they, they take advantage of the wind, and it sometimes blows it back and then explodes there. But, the, the you know, they're, they're inventive. They come up with new tactics. And because they know the world won't take it seriously when you say to somebody, oh, they, they attacked with balloons, and the world, you know, says, so that's no reason for you to strike back. Yes, it is. These are very dangerous, and they kill, and they set fires and do immense amount of damage. The reason, by the way, just to make it clear that there's this uh, analysis of the war on terror being over is because of the uh, situation now in Afghanistan compared to how it's been over the last 20 years or so. Uh, and that's the impression that... Uh, yeah, that but we don't have peace there. The talks uh, can't have a hard time getting underway. And the, the impression of the United States pulling out of these places, of any place, and abandoning it in the international community, not taking uh, responsibility... Is, is of concern to military people and people on the ground. By the way, on the topic of uh, responding properly to different things, and you've given me an idea, maybe we should ask 10,000 people to hit the streets and protest the fact that camps aren't being opened here. Uh, but that's for another discussion. But no, I think if those who are involved in domestic affairs and look at it, maybe that is necessary to, to think of, of a meaningful way for people to be able to give expression. The kids have been for 12 weeks locked up. Many of them live in, you know, circumstances where they're, they're in apartment buildings or in, in houses and many times with multiple children in a family. Right. It, it's a necessity. It's not a luxury. But with that in mind about the uh, proper reaction, are you aware that both Jews and Gentiles gathered in solidarity last Sunday to protest against anti-Semitism at the Parliament Square in London? In the midst of COVID and all of this, a collective vote to those who went ahead and took to the streets in a proper manner. Well, there have been demonstrations. Jews have been participating. The event in Farakway was uh, really an ideal one in terms of the way it was carried out, and that the leaders of the demonstration, where there was no violence and no looting, no nothing, even though there have been all sorts of predictions, the police were on top of it, the communities worked together, and they thanked the Jewish community. They said, we have to be here. They didn't, and and they thanked them for coming out, yeah. and it, it will have, a, I think, positive resonance. There was a a gathering of, of religious leaders, and um, there were two rabbis, including an Orthodox rabbi, 
uh, it was very important because it sends a message that we're not indifferent, and it's also a chance to talk about the anti-Semitism that we've seen manifest in some of these demonstrations, and that they they have to speak out against that as well. Very true. By the way, before we wrap up, I just want to... <laughs> normally, I wouldn't make the biggest deal about this, although some might argue that I would. But when I'm not here two weeks from today, I don't, God forbid, want people to think that it's COVID-related. Uh, we will not be speaking two weeks from today, Malcolm. I have to have elbow surgery. Yeah, believe it or not, uh, what do they call it? Elective surgery is, ba- is back in style. So I have to have elbow surgery... On the 25th, we will not be speaking on the 26th. I just don't want, God forbid, rumors to start spreading that I'm not here. Is that from bumping elbows too often? <laughs> I never you won't that. Shake hands? You know, when I had my shoulder surgery, I told everybody it was from uh, bungee jumping. I really should think of a creative thing for the elbow. You're right. Uh, but, anyway, so that's the story with that. But we but will... Does, but- uh, is there anything left that you haven't had surgery on? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, you don't want to know. I'll tell you, it's insane. Absolutely insane. But thank God. If this is the price I have to pay for a relatively healthy life, I'll, I'll make that exchange with the Absolutely. one above. And to all the Cholim, we want to see Rufushalema and Nicham Avelam to many people, Yudi Munk and David Austin's father, many people who are Nifter. And, you know, because there's no Shiva, people often don't know anymore. Yeah. about this. By the way, I, uh, I'm i going to mention this. I don't know if I'm 100% accurate, but I know that I'm certainly close to accurate with the story. Uh, our good friend Robert Katz, who you know very well, he lost his mother uh, and is in the midst of Shiva right now. And and he, he reminded me that in the early part of her life, I believe she was nine years old when her parents were taken away. And she roamed the streets of Budapest for two weeks as a nine-year-old child. And then, of course, thank God, decades later, celebrated an amazing family of children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. And I always think it's important to point out how we have gone in so many personal situations, and when we think things are really difficult and bad, we have to remember uh, what, what's coming down the road. This is not the worst time in Jewish life. I think we will come out of this. I think people will have a greater sense of community and appreciation for community. They'll appreciate their shuls, their schools, things that we took for granted. Israel, that we took for granted visiting Israel. You see the Aliyah numbers are going to increase. Um, and I think that a different mindset will set in when, as this lifts. We'll have tremendous challenges, economic challenges. Institutions are going to be marginalized uh, economically and will need more and more support, and that those who are able to, like supporting you now, have to come out and, and do it and reach a little deeper because of it. And the, uh, but the, you know, there will be strains, but I think we can look to a bright future for our community and for, um, and for our situation globally. Appreciate those words. Thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. And we will speak, please, God, next week. God willing. More coming up. It's JM in the AM. And I remind everybody, please, support us. That's it. That's the whole message. Support us. We need you now more than ever. And we have proven. And the numbers bear it out, boy. You need us now more than ever. Let us together continue this amazing pursuit side by side. Support us as best as you can with a generous donation, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. And uh, certainly feel free to send in a donation. Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, 551 Grand Street, Suite 3, New York City, 1002. That's Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, 551 Grand Street, Suite 3, New York City, one triple O two.
and I thank you very, very much.